Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's move on. I'm ready for the word. Ready to deliver it. Ready to encourage you. Anyone whom you forgive, the apostle writes, I also forgive. Indeed, I have forgiven. If you, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. In other words, Paul understood if he didn't forgive, that that unforgiveness could carry on to them and vice versa. And so he goes, I've done it in the presence, for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. So what he was trying to tell the church was forgiveness is a key part in winning, not being defeated, not falling into entrapments, that they would not be outwitted by Satan. Because whether you know it or not, we are all in a battle. We all face things. And whether you like it or not, you are a target if you love Jesus. But we won't be outwitted, right? For we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to try us to preach God, the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not yet at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went unto Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal processions and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. And I like the way he said the triumphal procession procession that that means that you're walking with confidence and knowing that when you enter into a situation you already in your mind have the victory you know what the outcome is going to be how many of you read the book of revelation and understand that we win come on say i win because of christ we win so he goes on and he says for we have this aroma in verse 15 of christ to god among those who are being saved among those who are perishing to want a fragrance from death to death to another fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The subject title for today that we want to talk about is how to always win how to always win we want you to leave here this Sunday morning with with a sense of confidence a sense of durability if you will and a sense of knowing that no matter what you come in contact with or who you come in contact with or what you have to face you're already on the you're already on the winning side and you will come out ahead and you're going to experience God like never before and there's nothing that can stop what God has for you in your life. If you believe that, say, God bless this service today. Come on, somebody say, God bless the word. Now turn around to somebody and tell them you're a winner. You're a winner. God bless you. You can be seated this Sunday morning. It's always good to be in God's house. Give somebody a high five again and tell them, let's get it. Let's go. Let's get the word. Now, now listen, there is something to be said about coming out ahead or winning in life. The irony of winning is that before you win, you first have to lose. You first have to lose. We lose our right to say, this is my life and no one else can tell me what to do. When you come to Christ, you, you make a sober, a right decision that your life is going to be in Christ. In other words, you're going to let him and give him permission to come into your heart, to influence you, to give you ideas, to give you wisdom, to give you direction, to help you know what way you need to take 
the big challenge for us is really most of the time we don't know what to do. We don't have the answers. Because if we all had the answers, we'd be less stressed. Peace is a product of wisdom. And acting on what you know means the world. What good is it to have knowledge and to have an experience with God and not execute that and use that? So when God saved us, God didn't save us just so we can sit here. God saved us so we can be an influence. God causes us to triumph in him so we can show the world that God is greater and God is bigger and God is alive and God is well. God blesses your life to prove to those around you that he is a provider, that he is a safety net. He is everything necessary and everything you need in this world. You and I are examples for God to show off his kingdom, to show his goodness. Sometimes winning is not a matter of having a better strategy. Sometimes it's really or executing a, a plan that's perfect. But winning is a matter of, of not really succumbing into the enemy's devices. So we, it's good to have a plan, and it's good to move forward, and God saves you, and, but you, you can't be afraid of failure. Some people get saved, and they're just content to get to heaven only, but not make a difference in the world. You've missed the calling. You've missed the whole point. When we are experiencing God, the experience was meant to be shared. How many of you have family members that you know that need God, they need Christ in their life? How many of you have children that maybe have strayed away that they, you know they need God? And, and, and so would it be right for you and I to experience God's goodness and to know God's protection and safety and his his, his favor and his grace and just keep it to ourselves? It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be right, and it wouldn't be Christ-like. I've learned that what I make happen for other people, God makes happen for me also. I've learned that when I help somebody win, God helps me to win. I've learned also when I pray for people, it's amazing how God will place me on the hearts of other people around the world and the nation. I've had people call me before, text me before, I'm praying for you, been praying for the church. And it wasn't by coincidence, I was just praying for somebody else as well and praying for their church. It just, God isn't going to be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And when you help other people win, I promise you, God will help you win. God will help you win. That's why it's not good. It really isn't good and healthy to see somebody prosper and for us to get jealous. It's not healthy for us spiritually because we really create a blockade. We create a, a dead-end road in our life that, that we can't go down because we've now allowed our flesh and allowed uh, spirits and things to just influence us and tell us, you know, um, they aren't any, they're, they're not any better than you and I mean, really, let's be honest. We look at people on, in, in Hollywood. We, we now follow people on Facebook, Instagram, and, and we're looking at everyone's good fortune, and then you're wondering to yourself, I go to church, they don't. What in the world's going on here? And you can cause yourself to slip. David said, had I not gone to your house, he said, I've almost lost my step when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But when I went to your house, I saw the end thereof, and then I understood God is good. God is good. Winning is a matter of not succumbing under Satan's devices and devilish devices, jealousies, any works of the flesh, anything that's there. Many times winning is not having just a good strategy, but it's about keeping and refraining yourself from certain things. It's not about running how fast you can run, but it's about walking and how consistent you can walk. There are some things that are more relevant to us if you're going to win. Winning is not just a sometime thing, Vince Lombardi said. He said it's an all-time thing. I believe that every one of us was meant to win, was meant to triumphantly come across and come over and overcome every obstacle in your life. Why? Because the one who rests inside of you is greater than any problem that you face. 
Jesus Christ has never lost a battle, folks. Jesus Christ has never, ever failed in the sense of where you and I fail. He was tricked, but he didn't fall into entrapment. But he knew what was coming ahead. What I mean by that was that he knew going into that wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights after his baptism that it was meant to trip him up. But he never sinned. Because inside of him, inside of Christ, was something called love. A love for the Father. A love and appreciation. So unfortunately, our greatest enemy isn't the devil, but it is ourselves. So this isn't a condemning message, but the truth is, your greatest obstacle is not who you can't see. It's who you see every single morning when you look into the mirror. That is your opposition. There's where most of your problems lie. There's where most of your issues are. So we can't always say the devil made me do something. No, no, no. You helped him do it. (laughs) You helped him do it. You gave him something from your heart that really shouldn't have been there. But had you just simply said, Lord, forgive me and forgive them, you could have saved yourself from a lot of hurt. We could always do better. You see, Jesus was was the one who, who came into this world that gave us the ability to avoid so many problems. That's what the prophecies were all about when it came to the Messiah. They knew that whoever the Messiah was, he was to save them from their enemies. This is why God's people at that time missed it. They missed it simply because they were waiting for royalty to come in with a carriage possibly, with horses, with an army, with a full kingdom at his backside to follow them through into that triumphal entrance to reign over and take over the Roman Empire, take them out from the stronghold of a heathenistic government. But when Jesus came in, he came in as a lowly servant. He came, he was born in a manger. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He didn't have royalty, but he took the clothes, used clothes they put on the donkey, and he rode in on it, and they laid palm branches there. It wasn't, a, it wasn't really a very triumphant entry to the eye, to the natural eye, but to the spiritual eye. God was fixing to elevate him. God was fixing to do something. But before he went to heaven, he had to be first raised at the cross. Listen to what the scripture says, John 3, 14 and 17. And as Moses was lifted up in the serpent, up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When the children of Israel sinned, there were serpents that were sent as a judgment because of their wrongdoing. And Moses prayed to God and asked God for help, and God gave him an antidote. God gave him a prescription to get him through that season in their life. And God said, if you'll take gold and make the image of a serpent and raise it up on a stake, said, if whoever looks on that serpent, if they're ever bitten, they won't die. That was a schoolmaster or really a, a, a lesson from the law and the experiences that they had as a typology, as an example of what would happen in the life of Christ for you and I. All of us have been snake bit by sin. All of us have. We've all fallen short, haven't we? We all make mistakes, don't we? But thank God that Jesus was raised up on a cross. And when we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, all we have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. That's it. 
Lord, forgive me. I can't remember all my sins. Well, God knew that. And I don't think God expects you to try to confess something you can't remember. If you remember it, then great. Be specific. That's wonderful. But sometimes things will get you down and you feel like, I just don't know what it is. Well, just simply say, Father, forgive me for whatever I've done. And if it persists and you've asked God to forgive you, then that's just the devil playing games with your mind. And you need to celebrate and change your feelings by changing your thinking and say, thank you, Lord, for the blood. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Because remember, we forgive. And listen, but the hardest part is you have to also learn how to forgive yourself. You, can't, you and I can't live in a state of, of condemning ourselves because we fall short or we make mistakes. Listen, the reason why you make mistakes is because you're doing something. You're actually taking action. Someone who doesn't make mistakes, don't, they don't do anything. It's easy to not make a mistake. All you have to do is nothing but I'm not that kind of person, and neither are you. I'm going to give my best. I don't care if I don't have it all together. It doesn't matter what people think about me. All I know that God loves me, and I'm going to do my very best because he thinks the world of me, that he gave his life and sent his son, and he gave his life for the world, for my world, for the world we live in. And so that's the secret. The secret is this. Unless we forgive. And remember that God did not come to condemn us, but God came to set us free from condemnation. Condemned people have a hard time winning. Condemned people have a hard time trying. Condemned people look at their life and say, I don't know if I'm worthy enough. Let me tell you something. Let's settle this right here and right now. I can give you another Bible study, but let me simply tell you like this. The blood of Jesus made you worthy. The blood of Jesus was shed for you and I, made you worthy. So stop wrestling with yourself. Stop wrestling with your thoughts. God sent us, God set us free from condemnation. Condemnation is a strong disapproval of someone or the act of condemning someone to judgment. God said, I'm going to step between you and your judgment, and I'm going to let all the judgment and all the pain and all the consequences of all of that to be on me. So the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. I'm telling you right now, he paid it all. He paid it all. Did you know today that you're, spiritually you are debt-free? If you thought you could never be debt-free, let me give you some encouraging words right now. You are debt-free. You are debt-free. You have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. If you need to pray that prayer, you can pray it any time you want to during this service. You can say, even under your breath, he hears under your breath. At any moment, see, that's the victory. That's why when hell trips us up or we make a mistake, our life gets us, our humanity gets in the way, and our flesh gets in the way, and we stumble and we fall. It just takes one, Lord Jesus, help me, to get you off the ground. One, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Wipe. Listen, to change some things in your life. No, you can't go back and change everything and do it. It's done. What's done is done. But the good news is there is someone and something more powerful than your past in your life. And you can look at the future with optimism, without condemnation, without the feeling of not being good enough. You see, God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And then God begins to equip the called and help develop you. Don't ever keep yourself in a position of not doing anything just because you don't think very much of yourself. Let me tell you how valuable you are. Jesus thought so much about you and knew that he would can trust you and believed in you that he gave his life, period, period. Turn around to somebody and tell them you're more than you think you are. You're more than you think you are. I don't believe everybody's suffering from, from insecurities in here, but I think that as human beings, we, limit, we still limit ourselves because we look at our reach. 
we look at our reach, and we think that our life is only as far as our reach physically. I am a, what they would call a strong caloric personality. I have melancholy, a little bit of sanguine, probably no phlegmatic in me at all. For those of you who understand personalities and done studies on personalities. But I had to learn the hard way about getting things done. You know anybody like this? Because I'm about to confess myself, but I want you not just to look at me. Look at your life, maybe. Or maybe look at someone you can relate to or someone that can relate to you. You ever know anybody like this that they have to control everything? And on the job, they, you don't know how it happens, but every time you become the helper, I mean, sometimes, guys, I have a bad habit of doing that. I ask people to come and help me. Then I'll take, eventually, I'll take the tools away and start doing, them, doing it myself because it's fun. And you got to have it done right, right? And the old saying is, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Okay? Now, in all fairness, this is what God did. You know, Adam and Eve, they didn't cut it. The animal sacrifices didn't do any good. So God says, you know what, I guess if I want something done, i got to do it myself. And he came down into the world, and God manifested himself in human flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, according to John, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He walked in this world among us in our state of imperfection. God came in and said, now I'm going to set things right. Here's, here's what I'm telling you. For those people who like to control everything, you have to learn to let go. You have to learn to delegate and trust other people. You're going to have to learn how to get your hands off of it so you can expand your influence and reach. One of the commandments that God gave to Adam in the very beginning was to be fruitful and multiply. He said, the world is yours, Adam. I'm making you a king. The world is yours. You have dominion over it. But be fruitful and multiply. In other words, you're going to have children, and those children are going to carry out your legacy. And there's going to be people in your life that you have to pour into. Don't hold everything to you feel like I'm talking to someone right now. I want to encourage you, whether you're just here in the building, you're watching online, God gave you all that wisdom. God gave you all that experience. Now so you can hoard it onto yourself, but God gave you that so you can pass it on and influence someone else. God wants us to influence someone else. And so God's forgiveness has set us free to set people free, to give them a chance no, they're not going to get things right. No, they're not going to do it just like you do. But sometimes just being good is good enough. Sometimes the Scripture just simply implies and tells us that none of us are perfect, but we're all perfect in Christ. So striving for, really striving for perfection can be a, a strenuous thing. It can be very stressful. But if you really want rest, learn to trust Him and learn to trust people. And here's the key. You have to learn to forgive people. You have to learn to forgive them. If they make a mistake, forgive them. Don't hold grudges because don't you remember when you were making mistakes, you needed forgiveness. And by the way, you're still going to need it. I want to make this statement. Here's the only point I'm going to give you today, and I'm going to drive this point home. Forgiven people never lose. Forgiven people never lose because forgiven people they walk by mercy. The scripture says, whoever is forgiven much, they what? Love much. You want to find a loving person? Do you really want to know why they're loving? Is because they, are, have, they have the ability to remember they've been forgiven. 
They have the ability to remember where they came from. And also, they have the ability to have compassion on others to see how it would be to be in your shoes. And, and I thank God for people that love. I thank God for people that understand. I, I, I want to be that kind of person. I'm striving to be that person, the person who would forgive on the drop of a hat, a person that won't hold any grudges, a person that will look at you and say, it's okay, you didn't ask me to forgive you, but I forgive you anyways. Why? Because forgive, for, forgiveness is, is freedom, but unforgiveness is a prison. Listen to this. I'm going to make a very strong statement right now, and I think the Scripture can justify it. It is impossible to lose when you're covered by the blood of forgiveness. It is impossible. Everyone say impossible. It's impossible. You want to know where, you want to know where, where the Apostle Paul, what he was referring to when he was talking to the Corinthian church? He said, if you, whoever you've forgiven, I've forgiven. Apparently, there were problems in the church. He was dealing with the issues that were there. In fact, when you read First and Second Corinthians, there were a lot of issues in church. Let me go a step further. When you go into every church in this city, there's a lot of problems in every church. Don't look now, but there are problems in this church, and that problem may be sitting right next to you. Don't look at them. But you're not going to find a perfect church. If you have found the perfect church, congratulations, you just died and went to heaven. God bless you. Congratulations, you made it. You made it, right? You made it. Well, you see, the reason why forgiven people always win and they can never lose is because Satan has nothing on them. So, so the Apostle Paul says, I'm not going to be robbed by... My, my blessings, we understand Satan's devices, his trickery, all that he has, and he, he moves through unforgiveness. The longer you wait to forgive, ask God to forgiveness, you are, you are in a position, and you're wide open, and hell has its crosshairs on you. But when you are covered by the blood, hell can't see you. It's almost like, where do they go? Where did he go? Where is he? My little nephew, he's uh, so cute. My sister's little boy, he's so cute. Every time they, they, they see something or go someplace, he doesn't see something, he'll go around and go, where is he? Where is it? Where is it? Children are so precious and, and innocent, aren't they? Well, like a child, like a child, you become invisible. I know this sounds crazy. We see there's a natural world that we live in where we see each other, and sometimes we got to wear some help. Sometimes we need help to see, but in the spiritual world, I want to tell you something. You can have 20-20 vision, or you can be as blind as a bat. Jesus even said, the blind lead the blind into the ditch. Okay, But they that have light understand, and he said the word was a lamp to his feet, a light to his path, right? So whenever you have that light, you have guidance, you have direction, you know where you're going. But unforgiveness, sin will blind you, cause you to stop the light from shining in your life, living a certain way. There's a certain time in your life you're going to have to make up your mind and say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. When you take a strong stand, God will give you some strong grace. And it doesn't take much. But God will help you when you make up your mind. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve God. You have to make up in your mind what you're going to do. You see, true freedom comes from forgiveness. But unforgiveness holds you captive. Also, anyone else that's in your life, anyone else that's there. You know, before Joshua could ever go in and take the rest of the promised land, he had to first find the person who stole the treasures from where God told them not to steal it and take it and leave it there. It was a contradiction to God's commandment, and then it became sin. So God told Joshua there's sin in the camp. What is sin? You know, I'm not going to police and go around and talk about sin. We know when we do wrong, and we know what's wrong, folks. That's just the bottom line. And, and so when we do wrong and we try to hide it, all you're doing is hurting everyone else around you. That's what happened to Achan. 
He heard everyone else around him. Things were effective, affecting everybody. Finally, Joshua said, go find it. Go find him. And he came out, and they had to get rid of that whole family. But here's the point. The point is, it doesn't take much to hinder, for there's not a whole lot that can stop you when you walk in forgiveness. You hear what I just said? I mean, have you ever been driving down the road and you have a flat tire and all it was was just a little nail? That little bitty nail? You know, people, um, some people, they buy cars, they buy it by the weight. They actually go and find out what the cars weigh and buy it, the car by the pound. That's how some people buy cars. That's how, how some of the wealthy people, they judge a price based on how much the car weighs, based on the price. And there are certain cars that have certain qualities at a certain price that are better. And so they figure that out. But you know how much a, 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 a nail weighs compared to what a car weighs? And it can hinder your, it, I'm going to tell you something. A broke down car can mess up a vacation. I have experienced that. It was like for five years. I don't know what was going on with my family. I tried checking myself, Lord, did I sin? Did I mess up? Did I see something, say something? Was I talking in my sleep? I mean, you know, what was it? For five years almost, every time we took a vacation, something happened. The truck broke down. The car had a flat. Had to call people every time. We had to stay in a little hotel in a small, small town, and it was not four-star, five-star. I don't even think it was one-star. <laughs> my, youngest, my youngest daughter said at one point when we got into a wreck during that time frame, we went to Slitterbaum, and we thought we were going to have a great time. We were there, and we got into a car accident, and it, it just totaled our car. And my little girl in the back seat in the middle of all of that says, Hey, Daddy, this is a crashcation. I wanted to get mad, but I couldn't get mad. And maybe God moved on her to say that because I needed to laugh. But we made the best of it. We made the best of it. But there's, there's nothing more irritating than to have a mindset to be free, right? Because that's what vacation does. Vacation is supposed to set you free. That's why some of you need longer vacations because it takes about a week for you to get your mind off of work and your wife is telling you, can you please stop work? Can you please stop talking about work? Can you please stop doing that? Finally, it takes a week for you to do that and then you start having vacation the second. How many of you can relate to what I'm talking to? We have a rule when we go on vacation. No church, no business because we own a business and so we talk and what do you think the first thing we do is? talk shop, talk church, especially when I get around my kids. We start dreaming, brainstorming. Yeah, we got to do it. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll start another business. <laughs> right? <laughs> How many of you entrepreneurs know what I'm talking about? Got to be careful about good ideas because you'll start about 10 businesses and you can't handle but two. When you walk in grace and mercy, you choose to live free. Can I, can I tell you something? Don't, don't misunderstand me, but I'm gonna, I want you to understand one thing. This life, of course, it isn't easy, but God wanted to be filled with rest like a vacation. He said he wanted us to live in the Sabbath, in the rest wherein causes the weary to rest. He said, cease from your works in Hebrews. The exact typology and symbolism that was there in Genesis when God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, that seventh we call the Sabbath. But then Paul begins to take that, or the writer of Hebrews, was whom we suppose to be Paul, said that, that that day, that Sabbath day, was a day of rest, so we also ought to seize from our works and rest in his grace. And to live in that rest. Unforgiveness causes you to be irritable. It causes you to have stress. 
and you can't have any, and you don't have rest. But when you are forgiven and you do, you have the power to forgive. And forgiving, what a strength it is. What a relief it is. At forgiveness, something powerful happens. If you're losing, if you feel like you're behind, but you repent and ask for forgiveness and change a certain way that you do life, I promise you, you'll start coming out ahead soon. Because there's something supernatural that happens. There's something powerful. I believe, I believe this, and I'm going to challenge you. The most powerful act that a human being can do is forgive. It's the most powerful act in this world. There's so much power in forgiveness. Forgiveness can restore. Forgiveness can shake the earth. Forgiveness can save the world. Let me give you an example. The very last time Christ was tempted in a trial was on the cross, and guess what it was? Well, let me read it to you. Luke 23, 34, and 37. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, prior to that, they were gambling and and, and taking lots for his clothing. They were making fun of him. You should go back and read it. Read it before this. Listen, well, it's actually right here. Listen to what they were saying. Actually, it was after this. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood around looking on. But even the rulers with them snared. Listen to this saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. They were bullying him, making fun of him in his weakest moment. That's why in your weakest moment, you still ought to praise God every time because that's when hell looks at you and says, they're vulnerable right now. But if you stay praised up and prayed up and worshiped up and have the word inside of you, I promise you there's nothing hell can do to distract you, even in your weakest moments. It's very simple, but listen to this. The soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now watch this. Right after that, read the scripture. In that final act, in that final declaration, in that one moment, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, The heavens were rendered. The veil was ripped from top to bottom in the temple. And there was an earthquake that came. And it changed the hearts of everyone that was there. Even one Roman soldier said, surely this was the Son of God. Oh, my God, what have we done? The Scripture says, if hell knew whom Jesus was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but they didn't know. They thought they were winning, but actually they were helping him kind of propel to the future. That's why it's better. Don't get bitter, become better, because hell would just love to trip you up by an offense. Hell would love just to move in your mind during the week and say, I can't believe Pastor Bobby didn't shake my hand. I was sick last week, and I never got a phone call. (coughs) You never let anybody know. (coughs) You got to tell somebody. It would love for you to get discouraged at work and say, they never take your ideas serious. It would love for you to give up and say, oh, this past month was a bad month for us at the business. I don't know if I, I don't know if we ought to keep on. 
But when you understand the grace and the mercy of God and you know that you are in a place of redemption and you have done nothing wrong and you are cleared by the blood of Jesus, you have a strong conscience, you're on the winning side, and you can make a declaration like Joshua did and ask God to make the sun stand still. You can make a declaration at the storm and say, peace, be still. You can look at life and look at every devil and say, get behind me, Satan. You have every authority because your conscience is cleared and you know that you are a child of God. You belong to him. There is a confidence that comes with forgiveness. There's a confidence that comes into your life that hell can't use and hell doesn't recognize because you become a different person. You become a person of authority. You become a person that hell has to deal with. You become a person that when you walk into the party, when you show up at the party, hell goes, oh, no. Who invited them? You know what happens when you show up to the party, right? (laughs) I don't care what kind of party it is. All I know is, is that when God's people show up, God does. God shows up. God shows up. There is nothing too hard for him to do. It was forgiveness that released heaven on earth and saved us all. The last trial Jesus would face would be forgiveness. But did you know before God could ever restore Job back to his his family, he lost every one of his family members, his children, and had his wife, lost all his cattle, lost all his servants, lost everything. But it wasn't until Job said, Lord, I forgive my accusers. And the Bible says that when Job began to pray for his friends, God restored his life. Why? God didn't want to deliver Job or want him just to go through persecution. You know, the last chapter of Job, he says, Job said, I abhor myself. In other words, I see myself for who I am. Lord, he even asked for forgiveness in that moment. Not only did he ask for forgiveness in that moment, he asked for forgiveness for his friends. And I'm telling you, forgiving people always win. Forgiving people always win. There's power in forgiveness. I'm done. Come on, Haley. I'm done. There's something powerful about taking the stance to forgive. In conclusion, I want to leave you this thought as we're getting ready to go. I want to leave you this thought. Forgiveness doesn't change the past. It enlarges your future. We can't go back and change things. We can't go back and redo something that's already done. But through the miracle-working power of God, we can simply ask for mercy And God will take what happened in the past and use it for our good. Joseph, Joseph did not, here's something to think about, something so powerful just came to me. Joseph did not fulfill his dreams when he was just in the position in Egypt. That wasn't the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. Joseph's dreams wasn't about the plentiness or the, the, his, his storehouse being full only. If you remember the dreams that God gave to Joseph, the dreams said that the sheaves of his brothers and family would bow down to him. It said that he would be a bright, bright light in the world and that everyone else would look to him for guidance and direction like the sun. So really the fulfillment of God's dream for Joseph was that moment when he faced his family that threw him in prison, put him in the pit, sold him into slavery. The moment that God had for him to see the dream fulfilled was when he said, I forgive you. And through that forgiveness, they were able to recognize Joseph, not recognize someone that was a governor over that area. That's what Joseph was, was a governor. He made him over that region the fulfillment wasn't just, it wasn't in the dream. It wasn't to honor a governor. Because they could have walked into Egypt and saw the man. They would have gave him honor and bowed down to him anyways because of who he was. But this time, 
this round, this dream said that they would bow down to Joseph. And Joseph had to make himself known. He could have just overlooked it all and said, ah, I've made it. But the dream wouldn't have been fulfilled because they were supposed to bow down to Joseph. And until he forgave them, they had the freedom because he could have had them all killed. He could have had them all put into prison. He could have did and dug pits for every one of them and put them in pits too. He had that authority. But he said, I forgive you. He forgave them with compassion. And then the dream was fulfilled in that one moment. And God blessed Joseph and his family. And he gave them a region to live in and to dwell in. God began to expand his people and multiply him because of one man who knew how to forgive. And they lived in the land of Goshen. And, and you know, the same thing happens for us in Christ because God forgave his enemies. Now we are forgiven by God. And look at all of us here. Jesus multiplied. You are way too big. You are way too big. You are way mature and bigger for that to hold an offense in your heart, somebody. You are, you are way bigger than that. You and I do not have time to hold grudges. You and I do not have time to be bitter. You and I don't have the, let me tell you something else. It is so stressful. It is so hard to live under that weight. I'm going to close with this story. I heard, I read a story about parrots. Now, I've always wanted a parrot. And I thought, man, it'd be cool to have a parrot and teach you how to talk. So I was looking up parrots one day, and I, and I realized, and I started asking myself, why do parrots, how do they talk like that and memorize or hear and mimic and, and do all of that stuff? And I thought, man, that's really cool. Well, I did a study, and I looked at that someone a professor from Harvard by the name of Nick Jarvis. He was, at, he was actually, he was actually from, uh, there was Harvard professors and there was, uh, Nick Jarvis was from Duke University. It doesn't matter, but, but they did a study. And, and the study is, is that they were trying to figure out why these parents lived the way they did. And they were, they were, they were the way they were as far as repeating people. And they found out that in the brain of a parrot, it has a place called the song part of their, of their brain, the music part of their brain, where they can hear and to mimic sounds. And they have two parts of that area, they believe, that picks it up and mocks it. And, and the whole purpose is this. Parrots want to be a part so when parrots, when God made them the way they, they are, he made them the, with the ability to mock and to mimic a certain language or sound so they can blend into their environment. So most of them are from the Amazon. But in the Amazon, there's different regions of the world in that area where parrots live. So if there's a parrot that comes from another region, that it'll get together with the other flock of birds because they love being around each other. It'll pick up the dialect and has the ability to pick up the dialect and mimic that so they can fit in because that's how they fit in by dialect. And so they pick up the sound in the area. And the free bird, that bird that's free, can go anywhere in the world, in, the, in its world, and meet a new group of birds and mimic them to fit in. That's what happens when we buy a parrot when we buy a parrot in the States, they're not used to being around us, but it's mocking you because it wants to be part of you. It wants to blend in with you. But then it gets frustrated because it's in a cage. And this is why they go through that, what they call the prison walk, where they walk back and forth and pace back and forth, or they start plucking, plucking their feathers out and get frustrated. The reason why they do that is because they're confined and they were never meant to be confined. They were meant to be free. 
And the reason why it's talking like you talk is it's trying to learn your language so it can fit in. And, we, and it's amazing how God made these animals, but that's what they were made to do. See, here's what happens to us. When we live in unforgiveness, the only voices we hear are those that are in the prison with us. And we will begin to mimic and to mock and to repeat everything negative because we were in a place of confinement. When we're never meant to be in a prison, you and I were always meant to be free and hear things from God and repeat what the word of the Lord says and be part of another group of people. Free people love hanging out with free people. Forgiven people love hanging out with forgiven people because their conversations are different. And that's how you know, give me five minutes with you and talk to me and I'll tell you everything about you if I can. What your interests are, what you like, what you don't like, and it'll come out of your mouth. But when you've been around the mercy and the grace of God, sometimes all that comes out of your mouth is the word of God, the goodness of God. God's been doing this, God's been doing that. Why? Because you're not in prison, you're free like a bird. You're free, and guess what? You always win. You're always going to win. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet this Sunday morning. Here's what you need to do. Let your mouth go and your praise be released. And let every negative word not come out of your mouth. And we need to ask God to forgive us for being so negative. Forgive us for looking at our present circumstances and thinking we can't overcome. Forgive us for falling short. And if it's your first time here and you've not asked the Lord to forgive you for just living life your own way, maybe you feel like you're in a prison. Maybe you feel like you've caused yourself some hurt because of your irritation and you feel like you're you're not free. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison right now. Today's your time to be set free as we bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's looking, but if that's you, would you raise your hand here this Sunday morning? I see hands going up. Now, I want you to pray this prayer. Whether you've been living for God for years or just going to take your first step today, we're going to pray one prayer for everyone. If you need to give your life to Jesus, then do it today. Are you ready? We're going to pray together. And I want you all to pray this sincere prayer from your heart. Are you ready? Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for looking at my problems and thinking they were bigger than you. Forgive me for saying negative words and condemning myself and others. I choose today to be free. Forgive me, dear Lord, for my sins. Wash me from my iniquity. Today, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to reign in my life. And I want to be set free from the bondage of condemnation and sin. And I'm going to give you all the praise, all the glory in Jesus' name. Now, somebody, if you believe that prayer, give God some praise and say, Amen. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at CLC Victoria and download our app.